0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Siri.
2: Hi, Jen. How are you?
1: Good. Good. How are you?
2: Good. Are you getting excited to chat with Alyssa Mastromonico? I know you've been wanting to catch her for a while.
1: I'm like rubbing my hands together with glee because there's so much to cover. You know, it's great to talk to people that you don't know on this podcast, but I also love getting really deep in it with somebody that I know well, but talking to her about questions that in our everyday lives we never really get to. And Alyssa and I have had very similar career paths, a lot of the same kind of work in the White House. And um, we know we're both Italian very demonstrative, (laughs) very
2: emotional. A lot of hand motions. A lot of hand motions. So take a step back. Who is Alyssa, since you know her much better than I?
1: Most recently, her last job in government was deputy chief of staff for President Obama, which, as it sounds, is a really serious job. Prior to that, she was the head of scheduling in advance uh, for President Obama and had done that for a couple presidential campaigns, both President Obama's campaign in 2008 and uh, John Kerry's campaign in 2004. And, you know, being the head of scheduling may sound like an administrative job, but it's a really important role in both the White House and the presidential campaign because the president's time or the candidate's time is the most important currency that a White House has. You know, when the president goes to a foreign country, like when you saw President Obama go to Berlin in the 2008 election and there were 100,000 people there, like Alyssa planned that. When you do everything from a town hall, who comes to the town hall? Who are the people that are attending? What questions are they going to get asked? Like, all of this is put together by the scheduling office, and you have to work with the policy teams to decide what the president is going to do, what policies he's going to announce, the communications team to work on the messaging, and then, of course, everything has to flow right, right? It's a job with an incredible amount of responsibility, a very big staff, and you know, you're operating on the world stage, right? Um, I was also a scheduler. I was a deputy scheduler for uh, President Clinton. Um, it is not afforded the respect it should have in the political world because it is such a key role. Right. And that's one thing I really want to have a conversation with her about. Awesome. That's and not- then the other thing, the <laughs> other thing, so Beth, Ellis and I, you know, we both worked in scheduling. That could be a trap. We both got out of that. She became the deputy chief of staff. She left the White House, was CEO at Vice, mm-hmm. and then wrote two New York Times bestselling books. You know, she Sounds like has someone great- else I know. <laughs> Sounds like somebody else um, on this podcast. And I haven't really talked to her about this time period of the Trump years where she and I both had to sort of redefine ourselves. And I feel, you know, it's been very hard but I feel like, wow, now I'm doing work independent of politics and it has a lot of meaning and it's probably the most important work I've done. And I wasn't sure I was going to get there. I thought politics was going to be the most important thing. And I really want to talk to her about that.
2: I can't wait to hear how both of you break that down. Let's do it. All right, let's do it.
1: Welcome to Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri. Hey y'all, welcome to the show. Before we start, I wanna tell you that the sound quality for this episode isn't quite what it normally is. We had some technical difficulties, which we're all used to at this point. So we recorded this episode using Zoom, uh, the dreaded Zoom, but the conversation with my good friend, Alyssa Mastermonico is epic. Uh, it was a conversation I've been wanting to have with her for years and we get in it and it is well worth your time. So please give it a listen. Alyssa Monaco, J Palm. Thank you so much for joining me. It's super exciting. I mean, what a better way to start the holiday. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Uh, we're going to talk about some, a lot of stuff that I feel like you and I haven't uh, delved into or like haven't had a conscious conversation about some of these things, even though we like work together and did very similar things, had sort of similar careers. So I'm super excited because I was like, yeah, you know, I don't really know what Alyssa thinks about this or that and uh oh. No, it's no, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> but you know, we both worked in the White House. It's a pretty life-defining job. It can be all consuming, particularly when you do it at a young age. And then we've had to, you know, both leave the White House, watch it all unravel under Trump. And I feel like we've both had to sort of rebuild our own careers on our own, right? Not Yes. based off of a politician or somebody else or, or with some kind of cocoon around you. It's really hard, but it's also
3: empowering, right? It is. It is. It's also like at one point though, I thought to myself, am I like the Danny Bonaducci of politics? Have I peaked way too soon? Like, what am I ever going to do ever again? I had that
1: same exact thought, um, cause I'm 10 years older than you. So, um, when I left the Clinton White House, I was the age that you were when you left yeah. the Obama White House. And I had that feeling, too, that, well, I guess this is it. And that shows that we we're both wrong and also we probably doubt ourselves more than we should. I think that's very true. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's what I want to dive all into. Um, you've talked about Julian Axe's podcast. You said oh, yeah. you left. Like, it took me a while to understand that I really did suffer from depression when I left the mm-hmm. White House you like all those years you live off a general and then you go off a cliff. Okay. That happened to me, but with Clinton. Yeah, I'm like, sure. Yeah. Because
3: yeah. you learned how to handle it better. You know, the second time around, like you understood the feeling could come. And so you yes. prepared yourself for it, but like, right. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I had never experienced
1: it before, but it was like really bad clinical depression, mm-hmm. medication therapy, like all Same. of it. But tell me about like, because I think this happens to a lot of people who are like in really high powered lives that where there's a lot of distraction, there's a lot to occupy us. And then it's gone. But like, for me, I felt like it was like a loss of a family, a sense of belonging and security and worth in this very small building.
3: That is the West wing. Like here's the thing as a work community community. I think that we operated in nearly as transparent an environment as you could, right? And so when I left, the woman who replaced me, Anita Decker Breckenridge, like I wanted her to be successful. I spent weeks putting together binders and meeting with her. And, you know, we had known each other since the Senate office as well. And even when we were there... Barack Obama's sort of operating theory is you're all important, but if you get hit by a bus, people should be able to go on without you. Like there should be systems in place where that information doesn't die with you. So I left. My last day was a Friday. We had our party Friday night in Georgetown. The White House Correspondents' Dinner was the next day. Monday, I went to the Met Ball as Anna Wintour's guest. And on Tuesday, I hit rock bottom. Because I was like, what do I do now? You know, I went from being in a position where things didn't really happen without me. Where at the end of every day, like I accomplished 500 things. And at this point, I had gotten married. My husband was still Harry Reid's chief of staff. So he's still super busy, super in the mix. And I am watching HGTV all day. Like because all my friends were at work still. Like that's the crazy part is that the only people who I wanted to hang out with were still employed. So I didn't really know what to do with myself. And and lucky for me, I got my book deal with Hachette, our publisher, about a month or so after I left. But then I was not. I was in no way ready to start writing about the experience. And what I ultimately realized is that sleeping, being sad. Being ornery, feeling worthless, it's depression. (laughs) It's depression. And I wish someone had told me so I didn't spend so much time trying to figure out what was wrong with me and feeling like a loser when we now know so many of us feel this way when we leave. Yeah. It's like a total change of the brain because unless you have that job you have in the White House, you will never be that quote unquote important anyplace else. Like it just doesn't matter. Right. And that's why there are term limits. Like that's why you get fresh eyes and and fresh brains in that building. And that's important. But no, I was really I uh, I struggled.
1: This is why I I was like a little anxious about it's like the one time I was like dying to be part of the Obama White House. But then I was like worried, like, what am I setting myself up for again? And um, what I found was the second time around, it was like it kind of leveled out the experience. And so I didn't, of course, I know when I'd left in a weird circumstance because i left the Obama White House to go work for the Clinton campaign. You know, so it was just a different transition. I didn't have that like sort of like going off a cliff.
3: Yeah, um, no, no. Because you went from the frying pan into the fryer or whatever, however the saying goes. What the hell? I know. Like, what were you I mean, thinking? That was so crazy.
1: The truth is I didn't really think it all the way through.
3: <laughs> I get
1: it. Right? You totally get that, right? People were like, during the claim campaign, they are like, why would you this? Why would you leave? You were a White House communications director. Why would you leave the White House to go be uh, the communications director on a presidential campaign? That's kind of like going backwards. And the real answer was, I didn't think it all the way through.
3: <laughs> Here's the the little bit of narcissism to it. And I'm not saying for you. I feel this right. way too. Yeah. Is that I feel like sometimes if someone wants to win, how would they not need me? <laughs> Totally. totally. I mean, I wanted to be in the middle of it. Right. I wanted to be in the middle of the next big thing. And that
1: was the Clinton campaign. And then I walked into this buzzsaw and it was like so hard. And I've spent, you know, the last four years just sort of like operating in panic in the beginning, uh, but God took a place now of like of rebuilding my life and trying to rebuild it, that it's like independent from other people or, you know, like are based in somebody else's life. Right. Which is what politics can be. Mm hmm. I was um, talking with Sari Soffer, who's the producer, you know, about, you know, research about you and what questions we should talk about. And she was like, well, it must have been really hard for both you and Alyssa, because it's not just that you left. But then like Trump came in and you yes. know, to watch everything. And so like there is, you know, that. It was traumatic. There's like two big things I want to talk about here. So like one is. What I can't wrap my brain around is that everything in the, like the Obama presidency was leading to the Trump presidency. Like I, my brain will not allow myself to go there. I think of these things as two separate universes. There is the universe of the, the Obama presidency that I thought was going to be followed by a Clinton presidency. And that, that universe lives up until November 8, 2016. And then it ends. <laughs> -hmm. This new universe starts where Donald Trump is president, but I cannot like let myself believe either in the Obama White House or in the Clinton campaign that everything we were doing, working so hard, was leading to a point where Donald Trump's gonna be president of the United States.
3: Like, how do you
1: process this?
3: I can't. I mean, it's it's something that put ration research all of it behind. I personally cannot believe having worked there, that the Obama administration, that the country was so hard done by, that they had to have this giant backlash against everything that we had done and install Donald Trump. Like, I can't fathom it. It's like a gut punch. Like, yeah. when he did these policies, the myriad of terrible things that he did while uh, he was in office, to regular people, it's like, this is terrible. But to us, it's so much more personal, you know, because, like, you know what it took to get that done. Or... You know what it took it
1: to get that done, and you feel an obligation about it. I mean, the children at the border, that's, like, remains the worst. But for me personally, I remember, like, maybe Thursday after the election, Adrian Elrod, I think, asked me to get on a call with some of our celebrity circuits who were, like, really devastated. And, like, one of the things they told me before they got on was... That there had been an increase in suicides from LGBT teens. Oh, God. Random bathroom and threw up.
3: Yeah, I get it.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, I think I probably have lots of layers of denial here because there was like, I was part of the team that was supposed to secure the win. And then I was part of the team that was like, you know, the first black president that we thought was so postmodern. And then, you know, I don't think all of this is some kind of backlash to Obama. At, you know, like, I don't think that at all. But I just, I can't even, I can't even allow myself to process it. I agree. Yeah. And then the other piece about this, it's like less admirable, uh, was Sari was like, you know, the Trump uh, transition was so hard to, you know, to watch that. Whereas the Biden transition is easier. And I was like, oh no, but there's
3: FOMO with the Biden transition. Yes, here's the thing. There is a little, except you know it's going to be brutal. (laughs) like. It's going to be brutal. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And also, it's like you know, and looking at the people that President Elect Biden is selecting, we know all of them. Like we know everybody very well, and we're like, oh, they're like getting the band back together. Shouldn't we be there? The answer is no. Definitely not right now. Definitely not right now. Definitely not. But because here's the thing: here's what you have to think about. Yeah, there are two ways to go back to the White House. Two. Okay. One as a better position than you left, right? Yeah. Or two, as John Kerry, when you were living your fucking best life, climate has always been your deal. And you're like, I am leaving it all on the field for climate. I'm going to save the fucking polar bears, which he will do. You know, like, that is his thing. And, like, he and Mrs. Hines met at a climate conference in the 90s. Like, that is how they met. So I know climate is, like, in his bones. So I think that those are the two ways we can go back. And I'm not sure that we know what our full passion project is yet. Like, what our climate czarina status would be. Right. And, like, what jobs are there that are better than what we left with that aren't, like, Senate confirmable? And who wants to do that? (laughs) If Hillary had won,
1: I would have gone into the White House. I would have been, like, her senior advisor it would have been very hard mm-hmm. and I wouldn't have grown the way I feel like I have in this period.
3: Well, cause you're your own person, you right. know, like, like that's the thing with us. It's like when you, your identity is linked when you work in the white house to whoever the president is, you know, if you are a senior staff person. Yeah. And so it's like at a certain point we have to cut the cord or we're yeah. never going to know who we really are and like yes. what truly interests us. But, You know, now I think that what we're doing is so much more interesting in that we know who we are. We have so much more confidence in so many different ways than we had before. So now someday we probably will go back and we'll just fucking kill it. You and I are just going to go, I don't know, maybe 10 years, eight years, something. We'll be like, okay, so we're ready to be czars.
1: Yeah, a czar is what I would want to do. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I would want to be a czar for something that we super care about and then just live our best lives, you know, doing only what we care about. I mean, that is the truth about the White House is that it is uh, equal opportunity in that you have to care about all the things. You don't get to pick and choose unless you're a person that we end up not liking because you only cherry pick. And then we're like, fucking get in the mud with us. We're doing all do that. That will never be us. It would never be us. Constitutionally... Incapable right. of being that czars,
1: person. We are going to be czars of whatever we want to be when we want to be. I there. want a
3: nice big office, you and I, side by side, EEOB, mess privileges. That's all we need. <laughs> West exec parking, okay? Because we've earned it. We're
1: going to take a short break. We'll be right back with the lovely Alyssa Mastermonico.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile.
1: Welcome back to Just Something About Her. We're here with my friend, Alyssa Mastermonico. I was a little worried when I joined the Obama White House uh, because it had such a reputation of being uh, like a boys club, right? Yeah. It was easier than I thought to navigate it, but like you were particularly adept at that, you know, because it's like, you know, there's like Pluff, Pfeiffer, Pete, Dennis... Tommy, Cody, um, Rhodes, bros, bro. I mean, we love them. They are super bro but you navigated that better than most
3: people. What do you think about that? Have you thought about that? So I think that the thing that people misunderstand, and I blame the media for this, is that they painted the Obama white house as bro because it was mostly the dudes that did television. And somehow they were the only ones that mattered. Yes. And so we all existed and we got along great. I mean, look, when yes. Nancy and DeFarl and I were both told we were being promoted to White House Deputy Chief of Staff, we had a meeting that was like, let's divvy up the portfolio so that we're both doing like what our highest best use is. And then where there is gray area, we will always have a meeting so that we're not being territorial. Like, that's amazing. Like that is amazing. And it is amazing that a woman who wrote the ACA and was a Rhodes scholar fucking treated me as her equal. That's just like, nobody talked about that except one night when we did a white house reporters dinner, like off the record, whatever it was. And they had me and Nancy Ann together, we had a couple drinks and we were like, you know what the problem is? It's you. (laughs) Well, you don't tell the real story.
1: Yeah. And it is true. I mean, this is something that i push women to do is like women in politics will sometimes talk to reporters, but they will say, I don't want to be on the record. And if you are not on the record in this story, the story is going to be shaped by men and it is not their fault, right? That's your fault. Right. And I, I know a lot of women that work in politics that are more comfortable behind the scenes. They don't like to do television. They, they think it's showy and they may be right about that, or they think it distracts from their real work. But when you abdicate that position of being able to go on television or being on the record in a Washington Post, New York Times story, then the whole political narrative gets shaped by men, right? But women do. I do feel like we have responsibility to use our voices in that way because if you don't, then you do get that kind of uh, the, the Obama White House got that reputation. It was not fair to President Obama at all. Like it was really not fair to him um, since he made such a big point of hiring women and making sure that they were listened to in meetings and all of that. But the other piece that I found when I got to the white house was VJ. Right. So Valerie yeah. Jarrett, like I met with her the first day, you know, and she and I have talked about this a lot is that like, I was skeptical of was like her sort of sisterhood that she created. Right. Cause I was like, I feel like if you lean on that too much, all of your female colleagues, like some kind of sisterhood, it means you can't hack it on your own in the guy's world. And then eventually, and not that like the guys weren't supportive, but eventually, you know, mostly like post White House, I came to the realization, you know what, we can't hack it on our own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if you don't band together, you're not, I'm not, I like my career is better now because I have embraced that notion of women supporting other
3: women. And- so I think that that is so important because, I mean, I look back on my time There were times I felt defensive. So much of what I felt came from myself, you know, and I know that now because I always knew that I was a little bit young. You know, I was younger than other people who had had the job that I had. They were men, you know, and Mm -hmm. so there were times, the truth is, Jen, like, no matter what medicine I take, when I get my period, I get upset. And so it's really good (laughs) to have someone to talk to who understands and is just like, girl, you're getting your period. It's going to be fine. Pull it together. And you're like, cool, cool. Yeah. Okay. I got it. You said before that the
1: best advice, some of the best advice you've gotten is don't be so sensitive. Yeah. I am like very sensitive. I mean, like I cry easily, as you know, like I cry yeah. at work, you cry at work,
3: mm-hmm. but you know, how do you feel about it? My sensitivity is almost a little bit different. So I got this feedback from someone who wrote a book about the white house. And so obviously he had talked to all of our colleagues and he said that the knock on me was give it to Alyssa and let her run with it and she'll get it done. And it'll be a 10 out of 10. Give something to Alyssa and try to get involved and fucking all hellfire will rain down on you, which is not totally untrue. (laughs) You know, I'm like self-aware now I get it because when I know this is like the fine edge of being confident when I know what's right in my heart. Yeah. And someone tries to tell me otherwise, I get like not offended. Yeah. When I say sensitive, like, yes, I put crying in a whole separate bucket. To me, it's like yeah, yeah, any yeah. pushback sometimes back then. I don't think I get this way now. I'd be like, oh my God, they don't like my idea. Were they talking about me? Did everyone coordinate this attack on my plan? <laughs> Right, right, right. The thing, like you always assume that it's
1: about you, that people's reaction is some kind of reflection on their view of you. And it, like, it's almost never true, almost never true. It's almost never true. And do you feel like you are more familiar, if you will, with the sensitive side of you or the resilient one?
3: I think the sensitive side, because I think the sensitive side is what I felt ultimately after writing my first book. And you reflect on yourself, right? I mean, it's like a colonoscopy yeah. writing a book about yourself. And I yeah. was like, my sensitive side holding me back. My own brain is what could bring me to my knees.
1: I mean, watching you, the resilient one seems to be what's at your core, and the sensitive one is the shit in your head. That
3: yeah, that, and that like you acts. can control it. You know, it just it took a long time to realize. That's why I wish we could go back just for six months because I feel like we've all come so far. You know, I know we were so I know. young when we worked in the White House. You know,
1: and one thing I think that's interesting about us is that we both started out as schedulers right? Yeah. Which I think is such a valuable skill and such an important thing in politics. It doesn't get the respect
3: that it deserves. You know, Jen, like people always say, oh, you're such an organizational whiz, but like you can't do it if you're not also creative. Or understand politics. Exactly. So it's like, you can't look at a map and just organize your way to like a good outcome. And so that was the part that really got me. It's like working with the political folks and the field folks and like fundraising. I mean, it's much different now, but back in 2004 and 2008, actual fundraising on the ground with events was a very big deal. And like how people spend a a lot of their time. So you were head of scheduling in advance, which is a huge operation, right? Well, this is the thing that people don't really understand is that on the campaign, I had a budget, just a general election budget of $68 million. I oversaw all the principals. So the vice president, the nominee, the candidate, the spouses, people like Ted Kennedy, Bruce Springsteen, Jay-Z. And I had to work to get them all around the country. And I had about 500 part-time employees and about 125 full-time employees. And then you win and you get your roster for the White House. And it's like, here are your 30 employees. And I was like, what? You don't have money? totally it's it's wacky people don't understand
1: but when you listen to you describe that job right it is you're dealing with a ton of money yeah you're dealing with a huge responsibility in terms of you know like the product you know if we were a business the product that the white house makes are events right that's that's the, oh. the currency it's the president's time it's the most important currency that a white house has you have to understand the policy that you are announcing or advocating for. You have to understand message and communications and how it all comes together. If those sort of duties were laid out in the private sector, it would be a very serious senior, probably a CEO. You'd be or, the CEO. And then it's just so nuts. But because women have traditionally you know, been secretaries and that was their path into the professional world. It's like seen as a girl job and not serious.
3: It is. And you know, one of the things, I don't know if you remember, but in the West Wing, we actually had a very even split of junior level male and female assistants Yeah. because if you actually make men assistants too, it is seen as a stepping stone, not your career, but not the penalty, don't like, I, all you're going to yes. do. Yes.
1: You know, I had, I had a couple minds about that because I was like, oh yeah, Guys can be assistants too, because we shouldn't think of that as just, it's like women's work. But then I was worried because I was like, wait, the assistant role is w- the women's track. That's how I got there, right? I was Leon Panetta's assistant. totally. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait, if all the guys are hiring guy assistants, what what's the track for the women? And I do feel like, I don't know if scheduling is more, I mean, Trump just kind of whacked everything, right? I don't, I don't know if it's more respected now, but it's a major... Project management event. And that's why, uh, project management job. That is why when Leon left, you know, I worked for Leon Panetta when he was White House chief right. of staff for President Clinton, 94 to 97. Leon left in 97. And then I had to decide what to do. And people were like, you should go to the Domestic Policy Council. You should pick an issue to focus on. And that just seemed really limiting to me because I thought, I'm probably never going to work in the West Wing of the White House again. Wrong. But um, <laughs> you never know. You never know. So I should be in the center of everything where I can learn the most, have the exposure to like really smart people and just get the most out of this experience. And I just looked around and I was like, that's scheduling. And people were like, you're going to get pigeonholed." pigeonhole, blah, 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 blah. And what happened was I learned a ton, you know, like, why do I know our next secretary of state? Because I sat with him in scheduling meetings when he was totally and was Writer for Bill Clinton, right? Um, my first job in communications was deputy press secretary in the Clinton White House because Mike McCurry wanted somebody who understood how the White House worked when he was press secretary. Yep. And he hired me to be like a chief of staff. And then that's how I actually I had a really weird way into communications. And that's how I got into communications. Yeah. People asked me for advice about what they should do. I was like, you should be a scheduler, because that is where you learn everything. And like you became the deputy chief of staff. Like that's some serious business. You know, I became communications director. It's not as good, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you can break out of it. Sure. We're going to take a quick break. Stick around to hear more. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. And we're back with Alyssa Monaco. Here's something that I have not wrapped my head around. Mm. Okay, so leaving the White House, um, you left in... Late 14. Okay. Late 14. But mostly women stayed till the end. And the guys left. And the guys had big plans about what they were going to do. But some women, like Valerie, yeah. Cecilia, you know... People in policy jobs, councils, like they stayed like towards the end, it was like almost women in, you know, women held a lot, you know, even more senior positions in the White House than they did at the, at the beginning. And I have a sense that women are loath to leave, you know, we like structure because we like mm-hmm. understand what's expected of us. And we're like, okay, here's the job. There's sort of metrics of what you're judged by. And um I'm going to stay here. And plus it's like, you work so hard, like why would I leave this place to, you know, to do it? And I remember talking to John Favreau when he was getting ready to leave like in 2013 and like talking about what he wanted to do. And he said, I think about this all the time. He said, I don't know, I want to start like a new kind of media company. And I was like, what? (laughs) He said, you know, like the daily show in some ways has more influence or as much influence as the Times or the Post. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Are you going to go work on the Daily Show? He's like, no. And I was like, well, I don't like, I couldn't wrap my head around what he was talking about. And then, like, he went off and started Crooked Media with Love It and Tommy. Right. This is what pisses me off about myself is like, those guys had this great idea and went out and did it. And it's like, I think about what I should do next, I don't think about building something out on my own. Absolutely, you know, John Favreau was like crazy talented and super smart and
3: everything like that. But like, I'm pretty smart too. But like, that doesn't enter my head. So here's the thing. So one, I could not agree with you more. Do you? I've had multiple great ideas that I literally gave to other people because I'm like, well, I can't do this. This would not be my thing. Like, how would I even start? I can't do this. And right, the thing for them is that when they left and they started this, they were quite young right? Like they still have like a lot of iterations. And I think for me, when I left the White House, one of the mistakes I made, ish, was feeling like I had to prove that I was as good as everybody by going out and getting some like wild job. And (laughs) like on the one hand, becoming a chief operating officer of Vice Media taught me I would never go back and not do it. And Jen, I have so much information that I could do something with. And I just, I I have not, I have not. Right, but like, what do you think it is? My
1: brain has not been programmed to think, how I build something myself. My brain has been programmed
3: to think, how do I fit into existing structures in a man's world? Exactly. Exactly. And I think though, that as things went on, when I looked at how successful they had become, then you really don't want to launch something on your own because you're like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be the woman that's the loser. (laughs) Like the woman that couldn't do it. (laughs) And you literally talk yourself into doing what you've been doing instead of really branching out and doing something that you'd kill at, you know, you'd be great. Yeah. But I like to think of this as just seasons of our life and we're just getting through, I don't know, the summer, fall, I don't know what the fuck it is, but we are going to get to the point where we're like, you know what? I don't want to fit into a company, which by the way, half the time when you have come from the white house the very top of the company wants you because you look great on their board. Your bio looks great on the website. Half the people in that company do not want to talk to you because they're like, who is this bitch from the White House? Like we don't need her. What could they possibly add? And so it is a real double-edged sword. Yeah.
1: And the other thing that's hard,
3: which will never leave us as long as we live, is that when the president of the United States very... Easily, it takes your opinion and likes your idea and agrees with your decision. It's hard when you go to a company where people are not Barack Obama and they're like, I don't know about your idea. And it's like, get the fuck out of my way. Jesus Christ, who are you? Totally, 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 totally. Like, trust me, I've got it covered.
1: So, you left the White House, went to Vice, you're the COO of Vice. Was that your experience at Vice that like not everybody was like you were there? I struggled. I find it's really hard to fit into a place that I didn't have a hand
3: in creating. And in White Houses, you feel like you did. I struggled. And the thing that that attracted me so much to Vice is that when you walked into it, it felt like a campaign. It had energy. I mean, Shane Smith's a fucking genius. You know, I mean, like listening to him talk, I was just like, whoa, like he's he's like Obama level smart, like in a very different way. Right. right? But still, my day to day was not going to be that feeling or being with Shane all the time. There were a lot of other people involved and some of them were like, please go back to DC, you square bitch. (laughs) (laughs) It for me was hard because Vice was like the OG Obama crowd. They've been together forever. They built this business together. They knew what worked. They knew what sold. And so there was resistance when I had ideas because, well, there is a, you know, You bring order to a company that's built on the creativity from chaos, Mm -hmm. you're the creativity killer, right? Like you're the one who's bringing structure to a place that has, for all intents and purposes, been very successful without structure. And to me, I saw it as like the beginning of a campaign. Like, yeah, we got Barack Obama out the gate, but we weren't going to get him across the finish line unless we put some barrier, you know, some guardrails and some structure. And so I think that my mistake was that when I left the White House, I thought people would always be so psyched to have me. And I'm not being like an egomaniac, but like I had the reputation of being a workhorse, you know, like, yeah, like right, for, for all anything anyone had known. I mean, the lists that I was on when I left the White House was like most powerful, least famous. I mean, I, sh- I wasn't a threat in my mind to anybody. And so it was hard because I felt like I tried to crack these clubs That were similar to the ones that we had in the White House, and I was not always uh, successful.
1: This is why I don't, you know, I don't really have a job, right? Me neither. Um,
3: Jen. What am I to-do for today? So how's how's it going for you? (laughs) How you know So after I left, because my time at Lifetime TV for women was interesting because I actually enjoyed it very much. Give us the time frame. You were like left Obama. I left Obama. I was at Vice for two years. So then I thought, you know, like, because the thing is, Jen was like, I want to believe that there is a very big life for me outside of politics, right? So I go to A&E, the CEO of a Nancy Dubuque, one of the only female studio heads ever out there. Super great. We had become friends. She was a board, one of the she was a board member at Vice, because A and e were big investors. And we'd hang out and go out for dinner. And I was like, you know what? You should do a lifetime? Like you should do this, this, and this. And have you thought about this, this, and this? And she's like, Why don't you just fucking come over and do it? And so I did, and it was very fun. But part of what happened to me the day after Donald Trump got inaugurated is that I couldn't be quiet. A and E, Disney ABC, no one silenced me. This was my personal view that if I was going to tweet wild things about the President of the United States, I should do it on my own time. And like my own time, you know, there is no line between, oh, I tweeted it after 5 p.m. Like, fuck that. <laughs> and so what happened is that not that far, I might have been the early summer. I can't remember. You remember when Donald Trump said Barack Obama never called the parents of soldiers killed in action?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: yeah. I lost yeah, my shit. And yeah, I sent a tweet. Yeah that I think was technically my first viral tweet. And all I know is I woke up the next morning. Oh, so many. I woke up the next morning and my husband is like, David's like, "Uh, I think you were just on CBS this morning. I'm like, you mean like with Nora and Gail? He's like, oh yeah. (laughs) And all of a sudden, pictures of me working in the White House with my tweet, where I called Donald Trump a deranged animal, among many other things was up on the screen because people, this was this is an interesting. I remember book. this. Be- I remember this. Yeah. Because I had been someone who was very staid. I was not outrageous. I was not right. on television for me to say that really meant something to people. So shortly after that, I was like, I just felt I had to go and do, I had to be free, but No, you know, I wrote my book. I wrote my second book. They were great. You know, I have the podcast. Before COVID, I've had like a real post-COVID off a cliff because everything that I was working on, all my contracts before COVID, in April, the companies scaled back and then the two big ones I was working with folded. And so since then, you know, I think people think that if you are on a podcast and tweet a lot that you're somehow rich. So I'm like, no. It's not really how it works. Right. right. So I figured let's get through, you know, I did so much sort of GOTV. Yeah. So I felt like for the past couple of months, I was lucky enough that I just did that. I just did all of that. I did some, some, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, crooked video series, but no, like you, it's time to figure out 2021.
1: Does it feel good to have had that kind of, to have had like a little break or, um, I think so.
3: It does. Because it's I really... I think that my problem... Let's I find unstructured time hard, right? So as I was going through it, yeah. I didn't like it. I still don't really like it. But I know that it is better than doing what is innate to me, which is sign up to something that I don't necessarily want to do just because it's structured. Right. right. And so, you know, I know that if I make that decision, it will be a bad decision. And so... For me, I'm like, just fucking hold your horses, just calm down, make a list of what you like to do, what you don't like to do, what do you want your life to be like. Yep. And I will say it's a very privileged position to be in, Yeah. to be able to right. sit there and be like, okay. So I will say, I feel like we are cut from the same cloth. And it's like, there is something that makes you feel like you are only succeeding if you have a job in a certain way. Like, it's like, it goes back to working at the grocery store when I was like yes. 15, it's like, if I have a job, I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing and therefore I am successful. And that's not necessarily true. I did learn a lot from the kids advice about entrepreneurialism and, you know, these kids would just like strike out and be like, this is what I'm going to do. And it was hard, but they were much more adventurous than I was. You know, I was like so risk averse and they're like, what's wrong with you? You have this whole like reservoir of like goodwill behind you. Like, why wouldn't you? And I'm just like, I don't know.
1: I don't know, well, that is I mean, you said you've said before that you felt like you peaked at thirty
3: five right, like the Danny Bo like right before forty <laughs> okay do you still feel that way? No, no, I feel like there is so much for us to do, yes, yeah, I mean yes. so much it's like it's like sometimes I think it's like there is also a point in life when you stop from worrying about what people think about what you want to do and just do what you want to do, yeah, and I feel like I am crossing. Into that season of my life. Yes. Wait, J Palm. What's that? We need to cook up some shit to do it together. We're fucking hilarious. I know. Yeah, right? Come on. I let's know. Do- we do. We do. Yeah, I was totally thinking that the whole time. I was like, going to stop. I was going to be like, what are we doing? Right. What are we doing? Like, right? We got to get back on the blower and, and think about 2021. Okay. okay because yeah. why do the bros get to why do the bros get DJ to their, their right? own adventure? Right. And DJ their own adventure right and then people get all mad at them and I'm like they made it happen y'all they went out made it happen they did it all also I debuted my new haircut yeah I cut all my hair off I I was like, it got dreaded like, like Jerry Garcia it was like fucking I couldn't tell yeah I cut it all off
1: yeah it looks great
3: it's a little shorter than I wanted but my hairstylist was like um you didn't cut your hair for nine months
1: it's coming off and I was like okay isn't that amazing how that matters yeah I know that matters Siri are you there
2: What a great conversation. It was everything (laughs) I imagined and more since we did the research and you were like telling me all about Alyssa and your relationship with her and the similar experience you guys share. I I feel like I really have a lens into what it's like to work in the West Wing from just hearing you guys talk for a little bit.
1: That's the power of like two people being together that like have so much shared experience, right? Is that you can make something that seems sort of so amorphous like the west wing be real but it is um it's interesting to me that she had the same thought that I had which is like why do men feel comfortable stepping outside of existing roles and going off and creating something themselves you know I feel like I'm pretty accomplished I feel like I'm really smart and it's just like not something I've ever wrapped my head around but now I'm gonna do it right and I feel like she's gonna do it too that but it's interesting to me that she had the same thought. Like, wait, why are the guys off doing this and I'm not? And it's it's like I have this I had this block. It's like I can't imagine it. I mean, I feel, it.
2: it resonated with me so much because I feel like the same thing too. I have a lot of friends that have such like entrepreneurial spirits. Whereas, like another thing that Alyssa said. That I think is tied to that was she was like, we as women, as the two of us are so focused on getting the best job. And she's like, we define ourselves by the best job that we had. So like right after the White House, she was like, this vice thing would be cool and it's a great job and I'll get recognition for it. Right. And and so you're scared to start something that doesn't necessarily have that title, the one that's like baked into your identity, like COO or something like that. It's partial stability. It's partial wanting to be part of an institution so that you know exactly what you have to do.
1: Um, Yeah. Like a metric to like judge yourself by uh, a path to follow
2: path to follow. Yeah. I think that's what we've talked about before is like, because women don't have a lot of examples of paths to follow. It's easy to follow a hierarchical structure at a company.
1: And you spend so much time figuring out how to fit into a man's world. Mm -hmm. The idea of how I create something on my own. It's like not something I had ever considered or even thought would interest me, but now it does. So I guess that's some kind of progress.
2: I feel like I learned a lot about you through the conversation too, which I love when like our listeners get to learn a lot about you because you're so <laughs> impressive and you have so many war stories and you've just been so integral in so many big operations. And I'm I'm excited when other people get to see that side of you and hear that side of you.
1: Oh, sweet. Thank you to Alyssa Monaco for being on the show. This is Just Something About Her, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating in the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Jennifer Palmieri, Aliyah Jackson, and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Jessica Williams handles research. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. Sari Soffer is our producer. And Christian Castro-Russell is our executive producer.